We're so happy you guys are here. I am super excited. Happy birthday to Doral Vineyard, huh? 15 years. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And you guys, today is a day of memory. We, we have a special, special day today. We have some special guests here, and uh, we're so honored that you guys are here. And I'm, I am emotional um, because uh, the founder of our church is here. And uh, it is an incredible honor to introduce him to you today. I am I'm humbled. I'm so happy he said yes, and he came, and his wife, and his family. So I'll let you introduce everybody. But Pastor Ralph, would you come on up and lead us in our next portion here? Let's give him a hand, you guys. Let's welcome him, Pastor Ralph and Kathy Gomez. Yes. Is, is Maylene here? Maylene's not here? Okay, because I was going to ask you to find my glasses. Because my glasses are somewhere in Miami-Dade County. So you'll have to bear with me. I'm up here, you know, just by faith, walking by faith. So we're going to start with... Um, I, I have a shocking revelation for you. I, I'm going to preach on the book of Revelation. <laughs> we'll say a little bit more about that, but... Um, we're, I want to talk about vision uh, today. And, and, you know, the Bible tells us without a vision, you may be familiar with that in uh, Proverbs uh, 29, 18. Without a vision, the people perish. In the NIV it says, without a revelation, uh, the people get scattered. Um, and the, the idea in the original language is without a controlling vision, the people perish. So I want to talk to you today about vision. I want to, I want to, I want to put out the, the notion that God has a vision for, a, for the church. God has a vision for each one of you. But, but, but to get that vision, your, your vision, your individual vision, has to fall under the overarching vision, the controlling vision. And that's the vision. There's no higher vision. There's no, there's no greater vision than the vision of Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. So in a nutshell, pretty much I've done my whole sermon. I don't have to do anything else. Let's close our Bibles and go home. Uh, no, we're going to worship. And let's, I, I want to I draw our attention to, to our Lord Jesus Christ, who Jesus is alive. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is more powerful than you can ever imagine. He is reigning. He is ruling. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He holds in His hand a scroll. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we adore You. We love You because You first loved us. Holy Spirit, would You come and open our, our, our understanding. Help us that as a result of the, the preaching of, of the Word of God that something will be sown in our hearts, each and every one here, that will bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold for the Kingdom of God. Lord, You, you promise the Word that goes forth from my mouth will not be empty. It will, it will complete the purpose for which it was sent. 
And we bless you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is officially the start now, right? I can start my clock now. Uh, none of that count. That was all preamble. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, we, back home in, in the little church that we pastor in a community called Monrovia, California, um, they started getting worried. You know, I was, you know churches kind of have a culture, and um, they weren't used to me. Um, and uh, sometimes I can lose track of time. And some of you know me. I see some knowing nods and chuckles. And um, so, um, you know, I was noticing the faces. Um, the, you know, people just kind of eyes going at half-mast. And they had been conditioned by previous pastors, whose names we won't mention, uh, to, 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 you know, to a certain length of, of sermon. And so they quickly came up with a, a solution and they commissioned uh, Kathy to, to buy a clock. <laughs> and this is no ordinary clock. I think I'm not exaggerating. The thing measures like three feet in diameter. And they put it right smack in front of me. So, you know. I tried to explain to them, I come from the, uh, the y'all familiar with, y'all read the Bible occasionally from time to time, right? Um, in chapter 20 of Acts, there's this guy named Eutychus, this kid, and Paul has been preaching. And, uh, chapter 20 of, of Acts, yeah. And um, he's in Ephesus, and he's, his sermon went a long way, and, and then Eutychus, uh, you know, Eutychus falls asleep, uh, and he falls down, and Paul has to come and... Re- so that's, that's, I base my preaching theology on... <laughs> it comes from that out of, uh, out of Acts 20. But, but it's so good to be here. It's so good to be here, and... We have been overwhelmed in the last few days by uh, catching up with some of you. We've had a, a chance to, I, every time I look, I see a face I haven't seen in a long time. Oh, my goodness. And, and, and it, it's been four, somebody asked me how long it was. It's been four and a half years. It, it feels much longer. Um, but, you know, I, the, when we walked in here this, uh, yesterday morning for the, I came to the women's breakfast. I've always been coming to the women's breakfast. Um, secretly, I, during a woman's breakfast, I lurk in the background, seeking what to devour. And, um, and you know, the, the, the breakfast would start, and the women would come out, and they would go, what happened? I thought we had enough of this, this, and that. And I would, by then, I had absconded back up to my loft. But I love what you guys have done. I mean, this, this decoration this is a beautiful place. And, and the people are more beautiful. And, and I, I just want to encourage you all. God has great things in store. Um, sometimes, you know, it's important to, to get our bearings and go back to our, our true north. And this is what chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation are. It, it, it presents a controlling vision. And you all ready to read a little bit of Bible? If you could just go to the first... Uh, we're going to read some Bible here. So it's going to be up here. Uh, uh, Revelation chapter, um, chapter 4 and verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. And we're going to read through this, and then I'll come back and I'll try to explain a little bit of it here and there. Um, but for now, we're just going to read. Um, it's good to read Revelation. All right, so chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. Not in, that's that's the Holy Spirit. That doesn't refer to His Spirit. 
he was in the Holy Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne, and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And uh, am I, you still with me there? Yeah. And, and so this is a, a description. I want to read to you what, what one um, uh, very early uh, saint wrote about this, uh, St. Basil of Caesarea, in, in his work. He said, as we read chapter 4 of, of Revelation, it is metaphorical and descriptive language. It's an attempt to describe what is undescribable, what is ineffable, what is beyond, what is past finding out. And, and it catches up. And he, uh, St. Basil wrote, it is, an, it is audacious to expound upon God in speech. The human mind has become alienated from divine realities, yet human conceptual, conceptualists are even less up to the task. The experience of the saints have taught us that the more a person advances in the knowledge of God, the more he, she realizes that his, her capacity to speak accurately of God, and I left out the end, is insufficient. We always fall short. So we always have to ex- uh, approach theology with a, with a lot of humility. But, but the purpose of, 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 of this chapter, and let's continue on it, is to take us into this, to this wonder, this reality that is now. By the way, this is a real, this is a now thing. This is a now word. This is not heaven as it will be. This is heaven right now. We'll say a little bit more about that, but let me, let me let the Bible speak for itself. Where are we? Verse 4, right? Verse 4. And, and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold in, on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. And before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was what looked like. Notice the, the, the similitudes, what looked like. It, it's not exact. A sea of glass, clear as crystal. And, and in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes, front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion. And the second like an ox. And the third had the face like a man. And the fourth like a flying eagle. And each one of the living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around even under his wings, day and night. These are the burning ones, the seraphim. Day and night, they never stop singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This reminds us of, of something back in the book of Isaiah, the, 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 the only the reaction of, of, of human beings when they encounter God is what the theologians call the trisagion. Three times, holy, 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 holy. Holy is like it, it, it's like it, it, it's like saying wow beyond beyond description is beyond description is the Lord God Almighty and whenever the living creatures give glory honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever the twenty four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and they lay their crowns before the throne and they say you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their being. And you know, in the, in the original text of the Bible, there were no verse separations. They were done by a, a Frenchman in the 12th century. 
And so it, it, it continues straight to the next uh, chapter. And then I saw, this is part of the same vision, and then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll in seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, verse 6, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the, of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and he had seven horns and seven eyes. So this is really a, like a ram, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And I'll explain a little more. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Say with me, they fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men and women, that's anthropos, from God, and for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. I, I always get goosebumps when I read that. And I looked and, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. It's myriads upon myriads. That myriad, the translation of thousands, is the biggest number you can come up with in Greek. It's a 10,000. So this is 10,000 times 10,000. This is like when you were a kid and you were trying to explain infinity. I love you infinity. I love you infinity times infinity. This is what that is. It's the same thing. It, it's, it's, it's trying to describe the indescribable. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. Notice every creature, every living thing. And they were singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped and worshipped. I don't know about you, but from time to time I, I have these moments. Do these glasses look dorky? <laughs> They're Kathy's. Occasionally, you know, I have these moments when, and you can probably call them panic attacks, you know, moments of anxiety, when everything just kind of seems to hit at once. How many of you deal with that, that sort of thing? And, you know, it, it's in, in, in moments like that, I, I, it becomes clear just how frail I am and how frail and fleeting everything is around me 
uh, the older we get, and, and I'm, I'm getting up there, um, we planted this church, I think we, I, was, uh, I was 48 when we planted, so do the math. I was trying to draw that out, Michelle. Thank you. You get a, you get a brownie point. I have a special gift for you after the service. But, you know, it, at, at this age, we're dealing almost constantly with the reality of end of life. And we pastor a little church that um, we're kind of young as the average age goes. That gives you an idea. I, I feel like a spring chicken. And there's some precious, precious saints. We had, um, over the past couple months, you know, I've, God has used us to help people usher them into the next, to, to the, let's call it, not the next life, the real life, let's be honest, because that, that's what it is. This is just a stage. This is just, this is a mess. This is a mess that Jesus is taking over. But, it's part of what the Lord has had us be there for. And I, I realize, hey, I'm really good. I would have made a great Roman Catholic priest to do, doing extreme unction. Cause, cause I, and I kind of like it. I, it's, it's weird. Is that weird? Uh, there's just something glorious. I, I love, I, I have to be very honest with you, I like funerals way more than I like weddings. Now you're getting a glimpse of my... Yeah, I need, yeah, he needs healing. <laughs> and, and, and then friends, you know, we find out about this friend left, this friend, this friend is gone. You start hearing about things like that. And, and you get a feel for how fleeting and how fragile this life is. Our humanity. And, and I, I worry about stuff like that. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm, you know, I'm not a giant of faith. I'm just, you know, as Wimber used to say, a fat guy. I'm less fat than I, Wimber was. Uh, <laughs> less fat than the last time. Trying to get to heaven. But I worry about dying suddenly. We, have a very, we had a very, very, some very good friends where that happened. And, and, and I worry about leaving my wife alone in this world. Then I think about crazy stuff like, I, it might be better if she goes first. <laughs> then I think about how selfish and weird that is, and then, and then I worry about that. And then suddenly, you know, I, I get a, a, a pang of relief, and I remember that we have enough money to live comfortably the rest of our lives. That is, if we die by next Tuesday. You remember, you know, if you've read Revelation, when the book opens, there's a promise to those who read this revelation. There's a promise. And in churches in those days, there were probably very few people who could actually read, and there weren't a lot of copies of the book, of the scroll in particular. And, and so it was a tremendous blessing to read it. And people, read your Bible. <laughs> yes. 
That could precipitate a story, but I won't give it. I won't rabbit trail. See, I've grown in self-control. I, I failed that. They call that ADD now or ADHD, whatever, ADHD, or they used to call it lack of self-control back in my day, and I failed it every single time. <laughs> by chapter 4, there was a, a rather emotional response. For the, by, by, by chapter 4, we, we begin to see why it, a, a promise of blessing is given to those who read the book. We start to see why, because this book, first and foremost, is the revelation. By the way, it's singular. Don't ever call it in my presence, revelations plural. It's singular. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation. It's presenting the world as it really is. It's a word to a a man by now who was probably in his 80s or 90s, the Apostle John, on this remote island of Patmos off the coast of modern Greece. He had been vanquished there because He was a leader in the church. The church was growing very rapidly in Asia Minor. And he was a bishop over those churches. And he was a threat to Roman authority. And there was a mean emperor named Domitian at this time who was beginning to demand that he would be worshipped. There was emperor worship. And so they took leaders, and they're doing this today. They're doing this in the island of Cuba. They do this in China. They do this all over the world where leaders are a threat. They take them and they vanquish them. And they sent John to Patmos to a, it's a, it was a prison camp, a labor camp, just to get him away. And they thought that was going to do it. Let me tell you something, people. And I say this in the presence of principalities and powers in the heavens and rulers. Is the more you persecute the church of Jesus Christ, the more you come after us. The, the, the blood of the saint, the, the blood of the martyrs is the life of the, of the saints, the life of the church, as they used to say. And the more the church of Jesus is persecuted, the more it purifies the saints, and the more of the power of the Holy Spirit can be revealed. The more of our weakness is exalted, because we are weak, but He is strong. And when I am weak, when I am at my weakest, He is strong. Have you, have, you, have you caught a, 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 a hold of that yet? That's one of the beautiful things of getting older. Is you realize just how strong Jesus is. And how available He is. And this is what this revelation to John, this beloved apostle. We're told that he, he was so old that we believe that he got out of Patmos and went back to, to the mainland at some point. When they thought, when the Roman authorities thought he was no longer a threat, he didn't die in Patmos. He's traditionally buried back on the mainland in, in, in Ephesus. If you go to Turkey, you can go to the place where they say he's buried. And he was so weak that he had to be carried. We have a person in our church, a, a man named Bill. He comes to church every single Sunday without fail. He comes to prayer meetings midweek without, well, when he can make it now. 93 years old. 93 years old. He lost his wife about 30, 35 years ago. He's so weak uh, that he has to be helped out and then his eyes are failing now. He has macular degeneration and we pray for him every Sunday and wait for a miracle. The miracle will come because one day he's going to open his eyes. And... Yeah. 
Because you know what? You know, our Redeemer is alive. Our Redeemer lives. And one day, as it says in Job, we, he, he will stand upon the earth. And as Job said, I will see him. And he said, after the skin worms destroy this body, yet I will see him with my own eyes. What is that but resurrection? And so John was old and frail by this time, and it said that he was taken from... 15 minutes have gone by already? I haven't even started the sermon. And, and, and so he was brought and he was placed, um, he was placed at, the, at the front of the church, and, and, and the, the, the tradition says that that all that he was brought to the front, and all, all he could say, and I, I, you know, Kathy has a father who's in this stage of life right now, can barely, barely, barely speak, but he's such a gracious man. And I have a mother like that, that 92 years old, and, and almost everything that comes out is it's grace, it's just grace, it's just Jesus in her. And all John could say at his advanced age was, "Beloved, love one another." Love one another. That's what the Bible means by love overcomes a multitude of sins. And John wrote that. So this is a, a story, a revelation for this, this man, this beloved leader who was a, a bishop. And it was the Lord saying to him, John, it looks like the world is out of control with all the persecution and the condition of the church and all the struggles and all the things going on in the culture. And, 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 you know, we wonder, we look out, we wonder what's, what's happening to our world, what's happening to our country, what's happening to the church. And we start to wring our hands and we start to think that it's all about us. And, yeah, we have to be proactive. We've got to get up and we've got to obey Jesus. But it's in his hands. And that was in the first chapter. He holds the stars, Remember? And the lamp stands. But there was a condition. And the condition, the condition was that we would hear the voice of the Spirit. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so what Jesus comes to John with is not the alleviation of all of his suffering, the removal of all of his problems, the fixing of the world, the filling of the bank account, the security of the things of life, better car, nicer home, beautiful things. He comes to him with the most precious thing that he could possibly give him. And he says to him in chapter 4 and in verse 1, he says to him what he said back way back to Moses in, in the Old Testament in, Moses, in, in, in Exodus to Moses. He said, come up here. Come up here. And, 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 and he says, and I will show you what must take place after this. You're worried. You're, you're filled with a lot of things. But there's something very important that I want to show you. I want to show you what heaven is like. And can we just, can we just look at this? You know, the other day... Uh, I have this. I have a job, a full-time job, and a pastor job, and uh, my. So I call my full-time my secular. I hate to use that word secular because every job is holy. 
me tell you that. There's no such thing as this laity, non-laity dichotomy. That's a lie from hell. You're all ministers. You're all called. You're all called to do something for the Lord. You're all gifted. You're all filled with the Spirit. You're all sons and daughters of the living God if, you, if Christ dwells in you. But I've got a Clark Kent job. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing something that I never thought I'd ever do because I've never done it before. I'm, I manage a, uh, a commercial facility in, in, in the city of Norwalk. And it's a six-story, you know, high-rise. And, and uh, you know, I, I got to call Lourdes from time to time and ask her what to do, I think. I forgot. That's what you used to do. And uh, I got to deal with contractors and plumbers and electricians and tenants and leases. I didn't know how to re- re- read a lease. If I needed to read a lease, I'd call Carol or, or uh, Desmond or somebody like that. They knew how to read leases. But anyway, so it, it, you know, little by little, it's getting out that I'm also a pastor. And there's a man named George uh, who works on the second floor. Uh, he's, he's getting up there in years, and, and we, we, have, we always talk about the Lord, and uh, he's, he's a devout Christian who's been leading a Bible study for like 40 years at this little Baptist church with 30 people. I just love that kind of faithfulness. I just love that. I just love people that stick with it. God is faithful. And, and, and so he, day after day, you know, he's there... And so, you know, we're leaving, and I'm standing outside because at 5 o'clock I, I like to say goodbye to all the tenants. And so, you know, I'm standing there, and there's the mad rush. We have all of these state of California uh, companies and, or, or uh, uh, organizations, you know, departments, and they all leave right on time, right at 5 o'clock, not a minute after. And, uh, and, and so here comes George, you know, and, and George says, Pastor Ralph, you know, from everybody, what are you going to preach on Sunday? And I said, well, George, by, by, by golly, you know, I'm going to preach on the book of Revelation. And his eyes, you know, he's got these big, heavy, you know, eyebrows, and they furl. And, you know, he doesn't trim them much. And, and he's very expressive. And, and, uh, and, he, and he says, he says, why on earth would you want to do that? <laughs> Revelation? It, I, and then he, he said, I, I, really, I don't like that book. It scares me. I said, oh, George, I've got to sit down with you someday. <laughs> this is the best book in the Bible. It's the final word on everything. It's the final word on prayer. It's the final word on prophecy. It's the final word on Jesus. It's the final word on the church. It's the final word on everything. It's a revelation, and it caps. It's no accident this is the last book of the Bible. It shows the wonder of the scripture of, of how God has created. You do a comparison between Genesis and, and Revelation. You know, the, the, the mess begins in the garden and, and it's, 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 it ends in, in a beautiful city with the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. A city that becomes, you know, a garden. A city that contains a garden. And... So let, let's do a little bit of this. The, the book of Revelation is about the world. The, the, let's not say the world because when I say the world, you're, you're going to think, you know, the things you can feel and touch. It, it tells us the very nature of reality. 
of what's, what's out there, what's, what's controlling things. And, and John says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Let me tell you, that word is not just for John. It's for you and for me. There's a door standing open in heaven. The door of heaven is open to you. It was opened by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it, you have access to the heavenly realm. You have access to the place for these amazing things. And you, and you are invited. You're also told, come up here. You're also uh, offered revelation. I will show you. And, and the Lord Jesus is able, just as he was able to transport John in the Spirit, in his Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, to the, to the, the presence of this, this throne. It says that in, um, in Hebrews chapter 4, doesn't it? It says, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, um, come boldly before the, the mercy seat of God, before the throne of God, that you might obtain mercy. I want to encourage you. Let this vision become your controlling vision. As this vision becomes your controlling vision, it will give you a specific vision for your life. Each one of you needs to have a picture, a revelation of what God wants you to do. God has a calling for you. God has a calling for you. God has something. You were made for a purpose. I, I heard somebody's going to do the purpose-driven life. You have a specific purpose. God loves you. He didn't make your life to be a waste. He made your life to be a blessing to others. And as you begin to serve others, that's what that generates that flow. Jesus said, come unto me, and I will cause everyone who comes to me, I will cause rivers of living waters to flow. So the Lord is always calling us out of ourselves, out of ourselves and into the world. And we begin reluctantly. For some of us, it's more difficult. Some of us are more inward. Some of us, you know, we're, we're more reluctant. Some of us were more fearful. Some of us grew up in homes where that was, we were discouraged. We were told we're not good enough. We were told that we couldn't do it. We were told that we were not the favorite. We were told that by teachers maybe, by abusive parents, by abusive spouses. But God says to you, no. God is up in heaven. And He's got this thing on His chest. You know, that, the, 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 the book tells us that that you know, John looks and he's trying to describe. Look at the description that he gives of, 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 of the one sitting up there. I was in the spirit. And then he says, there was a throne in heaven with someone, someone was sitting on it, indescribable per, uh, being. He, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son of the Father has made him known. So this is a picture of the, the indescribable one. And it says in verse 3, and the one who sat there had, look, the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. You know what Jasper and Carnelian are? They are the first and the last stones on the, the high priest's the, the, the breastplate. God is wearing this. And, and you, know what that, you, know what that, you know what that says and you know what that reveals? That reveals that first and foremost on the heart of God are His people. Those stones represented, the first stone was for the tribe of Issachar, and the last one, I think, for, for Judah. I may have those tribes wrong. But they were representative of his people. God has a refrigerator in heaven. Your picture is on it. 
This is amazing because this reveals that at, at the very center of the universe, at the very core of, of the, 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 the center of everything where, where all power and authority is flowing from, there is a God upon whose heart you are embedded. He knows you. And then it says surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. These, were, these are representative of the Old and New Testament people of God. First Testament, Second Testament. These are the people of God. This is a present reality. By the way, this is an approximation of what all of that looks like. But remember Jesus said, some of you will be sitting on thrones to rule. Don't you know that you will rule the, the earth? Jesus said that in the Gospels, not just in the book of Revelation. You were made to, to rule. You were made to, to, to govern with authority. That's what God made you for. Your destiny is so unbelievably beyond past finding out that it, the, the enemy spends most of his time trying to destroy and discourage and deflate Christians by getting them to focus on their present reality, on what they don't have, on what hasn't happened yet, on what prayer hasn't, hasn't been answered yet. You know, I'm going to jump ahead because I'm running out of time. But let me tell you this. No, hang on. <laughs> this is an amazing description. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. This is meant to evoke language that any first century Jew would have instantly recognized. This is, this is the same thing that Moses experienced when he was called up to the mountain. And, and, and the rumblings and thunders, this is the very, the very that's that, oh, that God. This is what this is. This is, this is what's going, this power being released. And before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. This is representative. We see here the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work. The seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like, like a sea of glass. It evokes just the vastness and the peace and, and, and the approachableness. You know, the sea in the temple was the place where they would come and they would wash before they could continue into the Holy of Holies. So before the presence of God, there's always a place of cleansing. This is, this is calling us to come out of the world as John was called out of his anxiety and his worry and his concern. I, 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 I propose to you chapter 4 and 5 is, 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 a, is, is just a great remedy for the anxieties and the pressures of this life. And at the center around the throne were four living creatures and they covered their eyes front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second like... These are specially made beings whose entire these are the seraphim their entire purpose is just to gaze upon god and to worship him that they were made for that they were created for that some some someday soon you will be there the bible says beloved we don't know what we will be but we know that when he appears when jesus appears we will be like him because we will we will behold Him and we will be made like Him. This, it, Paul says that in, in 1 Corinthians also, that, or 2 Corinthians, I'm not sure, that it, we are, are, we're beholding 
we're beholding Jesus through a glass, but we're gradually being transformed, gradually being, though our outward man is perishing, inwardly there's something wonderful happening. We're being renewed day by day. And one day, you will be here in this place. These are beings that that know um, who God is. They've been looking at Him for untold countless time immemorial for eternity, and yet they don't run out of words. There's no boredom in heaven. They're beholding. This reminds me, this is like a Frankie Valli's song from the 1960s. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. He must have been a Christian. You feel like heaven to touch. I want to hold you so much. Am I on key? Don't let people tell, I don't want to be in heaven. It's going to be boring now. I want to go to hell with my friends and drink beer. And, and First of all, you don't want to do that. Second of all, heaven is much better. Heaven, you know, there's worship here. And, and this is the answer of how we go from the situation in the book of, in, in the church at Laodicea, the, the mess in the church of Laodicea, the chaos in the world. Um, how do you get, how, how are things restored? How, how do we get from point A to point B? And, and in a word, it begins with worship. Worship means to bow down, to fall down before God. And so, in the face of, of life's things, our first reaction, if you want to get through and end well in this life as a believer, you must learn to worship on your own. And then come here and worship together with the church body and bring something back. Because as your life becomes... The, 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 the Greek word for worship is, is bowed down. There's a, a great illustration of that. Go see the Lion King when they present the king. And you see all the creatures bowing down, paying homage and, and worshiping and loving God. This is where it all begins. This is the start. This is what's revealed. Wor- worship reveals that the universe is God-centered. Worship is the antidote to sin. Don't even think about overcoming sin without a revelation of the holiness of God. There's no motive for it. The the motive for overcoming sin is the holiness of God. The holiness of God compels us to serve Him and to love Him. And chapter 4 ends with that John had been drawn to heaven, but now he sees something else. We're almost done here. Now he sees something else. He notices something. He notices as as someone else uh, comes into the scene in chapter 5, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy? That word appears seven times in, in, this, uh, in this, these chapters. Who is worthy? Who is up to it? You know, and it's a, it's a relative word. I have the definition. You can bring up that, that um, slide towards the end. Who is worthy? Who is up to it? It's an estimate of value. It, it's, it's a heaviness. It indicates... in inherent value who can who can open the scroll 
The scroll is so lengthy, it's so wordy, it's written not just as they used to write papyruses, you know, they were sheets that they would press together, and then they would turn, take another sheet and press it, then they would start, it was very expensive, paper was very expensive. You think that paper is expensive? <laughs> it's a good thing you don't have to provide papyrus for Ronald Reagan High School. And, and they would write it on both sides. They were right on, I'm sorry, only on one side. This one's written on both sides. Why? Because it's filled with narrative. It's filled with stories. It's, it's, it's the title deed of the universe. It's the plan of God, how God will unravel human history. And that human history includes every single one of your lives. You mean when I went to the donut shop this morning, that was written on the, on the, 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 the scroll? I don't know about that. I don't know if I'd go to that extent. Maybe you got close to the donut store, but you didn't go into the donut store and eat the donut in the story. But your destiny and the destiny of the world. And this, this scroll is so important. We get, we get an, an idea, a, a glimpse of how important it is because of, because of John's reaction. And when John sees it, he's overcome with grief. He, he says, he, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. How do, how, how do we relate to this? You, you deal with this every single day. This is the same angst. This is the same grief. This is the same anxiety. When you look at the world, when you look at your circumstances, when you look at the community, when you look at our nation, when you see the, the shootings and the hatred and the division and the back and forth and all the kind of stuff that we deal how is this going to be solved? How is the world going to, how are we going to deal with the environmental crises that, that grip the world today and all of the things that, that just seem to be so overwhelming? How will God restore this world and resolve the problems of humanity and the suffering and the hunger and the pain and the depression and the hatred and the murders. How will all... It's little wonder that John wept and wept because he knew what the nature of that scroll. He knew how important it would be that it would be opened. If, if, if we catch a glimpse, we would have the same, the same reaction. But we know something he didn't know at that moment. We know that there is one because he's told immediately. He says, he's told, then one of the elders said to me, do, do not weep. This is one of the guys sitting around the throne. He knows stuff. Oh, man. John, don't you, look. <laughs> this person is worthy, is beyond worthy. It's, you put him on this end of the scale and boom. And then the elder says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. The lion, the lion, roar! <laughs> I wish I could do that like Mufasa. He hears a lion, but when he turns, he sees. This is a revelation the church of Jesus Christ needs today. He sees a lamb as if it had been slain. 
a lamb so torn apart, so weak, so de dehydrated, as if it had been slain, as if it had just been taken off the cross, as if every, every ounce of strength had been sapped from it. But that lamb, that lamb is good enough. That lamb was standing. How can this be? He, he's standing, and, and, and he, now he's at the center of the throne. And the, the, the four living creatures, they're, they're worshiping, and, and he has seven horns, complete authority. And seven eyes, complete vision, which are the spirits of God. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening in this church. He knows what's happening in your prayer life. He's always calling you closer. He's always calling you to more. He's always calling you to deeper. He's always calling you to greater risk for Him. He's always calling you to come and die and take your cross and follow Him. This is what He's calling. And He came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, notice the one who was on the throne doesn't even flinch. He doesn't hesitate. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you got it. You know? and, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24, this is a party in heaven. This is an ongoing reality. This is a present reality. And they worship. You are worthy to take the scroll. Jesus is worthy. And I want, I want to finish with, with this thing. And look what happens here. And each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense. And the, when Jesus takes the scroll, something in worship and prayer. Worship, and which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They're worshiping and they're praying. The incredible importance of this. Don't ever give up. There is, in the presence of God, There is, in the presence of God, a place where every single one of your prayers, every single one of them, has been stored until the moment. And at some moment, an angel will take your prayer, mix it with incense, and throw it down to the earth. One of the best books I've ever read was by Eugene Peterson called Reverse Thunder. And he said, this is reverse thunder. We pray... It goes up and it comes down as thunder upon the earth. God is so powerful. Can I tell a story to finish this? On Tuesday, we're getting ready to come here. And uh, it was the day before we left. And um, we're having coffee with our worship leaders. And my phone, you know, activates. And I see there's a text. And it's from Kathy's sister, Deanna who lives 60 miles from where we live in Los Angeles in a community called Beaumont. And she's just beside herself. And, and there, I see there's a question. The question is, do you know Marie and Abdi Sellis? And she's never met you. She's never been in Miami. She's never been close to here. She didn't know that we knew you and that we were coming here. Do you know Marie and Abdi Sellis? And I text back, I go, yeah. In fact, we're going there to see them tomorrow. No way. Do you know a woman named Margaret? Text comes back. Do you know a woman named Margaret Ortiz? And I said, no, never met her. She said, she knows who you are, and she knows she's good friends with Marie and Abdi Sellis. Well, it turns out that Kathy's sister, who we have been praying for for 38 years to come to faith in Jesus Christ, that day happens to get into a jacuzzi at the community pool where, where she lives. And across from her is Margaret Ortiz, 
who has been praying for these two. She's one of your prayer intercessors for how long? A couple of years. What are the odds on this? Right? And, and, and we've been praying for the... And this is how God... God's timing is perfect. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are past finding out. Don't ever give up on prayer. Don't ever give up on people. Don't ever give up on the dreams that God has put in your heart. Don't ever stop praying. Because the devil knows how important those prayers are. And at some divine moment when the Lamb says yes, and when that part of the scroll is open, and God says, go now, the incense is poured, and stuff like this, God's stuff like this, and I'm telling Deanne, Deanne, do you realize what this is? Because she's recently, in the midst of suffering, she's battling brain cancer, She's gone through a divorce, which in a way is good because she is leaving someone who has been terribly abusive to her for so long. Walking away from that, but it's still painful. Lost most of her most important clients. Every type A stressor, but in the midst of that suffering, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go figure. Because the Lord knows that sometimes we are so stubborn that we have to come down to our lowest point before we can look up and say, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and glory. And we start to see the Lord's might. We've been praying for Deanne all these years. And now she's after us. And it turns out, it gets even better. It turns out Margaret, they start talking, and it turns out Margaret is part of a vineyard church that just lost its pastor and closed. And she's kind of a leader there. And so Deanne's texting, she doesn't know anything about anything. She's a brand new baby in Christ. And she says, see the angels are singing in the background. And, and she says, oh, maybe you all can come up here and take over that church. <laughs> and I, you know, I think God has something with that. But here is God doing something that we could never have done. We can't save people. We can't. All we can do is let our light, our light shine before men that they could see our good works. And occasionally as the door opens, talk about Jesus and give them the hope, that, you know, the reason for the hope that is in us. God bless you guys. <laughs> Worship God. <laughs>